Welcome to our first episode of the year of a musician and a filmmaker. We've got a special treat for you to start the year off right. We've got an interview with one of Jordan's favorite punk bands, the Dwarves, uh, specifically Black Dahlia and Vaj Moore. We're going to be talking about their 1993 album Sugar Fix. So without further ado, let the interview begin. Hey! <laughs> How's it going, Black? Feeling good. Feeling strong. Sweet. That's always important. How was the uh, New Year's show? Oh, it was uh, It was pretty hilarious. It was kind of old school dwarves. There was some senseless violence and, uh, I don't know, Pussy Riot canceled out. That was weird. What? And, yeah, it was, it was strange. So um, the whole thing had a very old school dwarves quality about it. <laughs> well that's cool that sucks that pussy riot uh bailed did they offer an explanation uh i don't know i mean i don't i don't really pay attention fair <laughs> uh there he is hey vag can you can you hear us can we hear you i can see him can't hear him that must be vag because he's talking but nothing smart is coming out <laughs> always on mute <laughs> On mute in real life. That's more. Well, what we could do is we could just start talking about Sugar Fix, and then if Vag comes in midway, then we could just have him come in midway. Yes, that would be great. So what is it about Sugar Fix that calls you today? <laughs> well, what is it about? There's a lot of stuff surrounding Sugar Fix, and I mean... At its core, it's a phenomenal record from a phenomenal band, the Legendary Dwarves, one of the best punk bands ever. Am I am I right to say this? Bless you, sir. I agree with you. I thought you might. I thought you might. Sugar Fix is kind of an off album for me. It was never one of my favorites. What don't you like about it? Due to a number of factors. <laughs> well, first, I want to hear what you like about it. That's more important to me. What's positive about Sugar Fix you're pushing today? You, is that the reissue there? It is the reissue. This is the the one that came out. Yeah, the out reissue last looks year. better than the original. The original they kind of fucked up the printing of it. It looks nice. I like the the sleeve inside too, and everything. The back all looks really good. Yeah, this looks the way it's supposed to. Yeah, no, I I dig this record a lot. I mean, I think that this record has a very a very varied soundscape across the whole thing. I think that. A lot of your records do, but I think that in the early days leading up, like definitely it's from like dwarves. Well, I guess like dwarves are, are young and good looking is kind of like the beginning of the new era. Is that safe to say of the dwarves? And yeah. this kind of almost feels like the end ending of a, of a certain chapter. Yes, that's exactly right. I think that's why. And, and also like this record was just doomed in a lot of different ways. Like it, the label that had it at the time, was severing their relationship with their producer and sort of moving to major distribution. But they didn't take our record with them, but they were fighting with the old producers, so they or with the old distributors, so they didn't take that either. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was just a disaster from every angle. <laughs> of course. I mean, like that's I think another reason why we wanted to talk about this record because 
it is, you know, the record that effectively changed course for you guys. I mean, I think I feel like I read Vadge's book and everything, and I felt like, you know, you guys weren't necessarily in it for the long haul with sub pop. It was kind of like, and correct me if I'm wrong anywhere here, but kind of like you utilizing sub pop, but knowing that you guys, you know, kind of had your own thing going, but kind of like using them to maybe. Well, it would have been nice to get some support or some money or something mm -hmm. out of sub pop. That would have been great. Right. Hey, did... there we go. Oh, it's working. Is that Vag Moore? <clears throat> the Dark Lord had to use some special black magic to get on. Wow. <laughs> All right. But hey, You're black magic, it worked. Vag, I'm honored to have you here. It's wonderful being old. I feel like my mom when I first introduced the VCR to her. <laughs> you 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 do feel somewhat like your mom. I'll admit. I, I, I'll I do. Admit that. And you know, because <laughs> haven't you? Fuck my mom. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but anyway, since I'm back, since I'm here now, I don't know why the fuck we're talking about a record that's over 30 years old. That's right. <laughs> we, you, we, should, we shouldn't even talk about women that are over Wait, well, no, when, when the dwarves have a perfectly great new album called Concept yeah. Album. But, however, we're not here to plug our own shit. We're here to talk about a that <laughs> came out over 30 years ago. We're not going to talk about our new records or our new books, which can be found on Amazon or any of my Facebook or Instagram pages with links. Okay, I'm going to go on record here and say Vag was a little too polite in these books. He could have gotten a lot nastier. Oh, hell yeah. If he wanted to. Vag well, I, I commend you for holding back. The main reason is that I, I don't have an attorney at this point. <laughs> There's a lot of people that might recognize themselves in there. <laughs> you got to be careful nowadays. I just did their first and last initials. So, you know, maybe. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Well, I, I love the books. I haven't read uh, My Life After the Dwarves, but I did read My Life with the Dwarves, and that, that's... it's the, My Life After the Dwarves is even more fucked up than the first I can't time. wait, because that, that first installment was literally, like, yeah. uh, I could not put it down. I was, like, reading this on, well, on, thank the, you. On, on public transit, and I was, like, looking around. I was like, does anybody realize what I'm reading right now? It was fantastic. Well, um, one thing I, I want to emphasize is... You know, I'm sure this is a trilogy of my life, but the hub and the wheel is the dwarves. So really, that was a seminal moment when Black, he actually had to convince me to join the fucking band. I was playing this these loser bands just <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, but uh, it was it was really the hub and the wheel of my life. So every single book is my life with the dwarves, my life after the dwarves. And now I'm about to write my life before the dwarves. So I want to thank Black for making this central part of my life so important because obviously the trilogy of my life badge i couldn't i couldn't have done it without you I oh you're doing it without me you. right now <laughs> <laughs> well there's that but yeah i mean it it's it just to me badge moore is the the symbol of the dwarves and also the first successful human to toilet transplant is bad. That's well, true. I'm not not quite sure what that means, but it's true. I would be interested to learn what that means. Badge Moore is the first successful human to toilet transplant. Just think about it. It'll make your head explode. I'm. It kind of is already. 
I'm thinking like this. I'm thinking disgusting things right now. Well, you know, that's because bad is here. The dwarves are amazing. They're, you know, 30 years making records for um, sexually deprived 16 year old boys and still making records for older men. 30 years. 40 years. What? What? What 40 years. Oh, good God. Starting 1983. Where's my rocker? Where? I mean, where's my colostomy bag? It's some geriatric shit. It's those 16 year olds are now 56 years old and still, still sexually deprived. Yes, or depraved, depending on who they are. That's true. It could go either way, based on what I read in your book. <laughs> you see? There you go. All right, so what are we talking about? What have I missed? Right. So we we did talk a little bit about the concept albums. Great album, of course. I uh, love it. I love rock set. I love uh, voodoo, of course, typecasting. Badge, Badge went into voodoo himself. He is a voodoo practitioner. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I was for a short time, yes. But he ran out of chickens to slaughter. I kept eating them, <laughs> and then, you know, slaughtering them, I just figured they're better cooked. Mm. In a way, is that not a sacrifice? I, I, as as a thelemite, I prefer menstrual blood, really, uh, over chicken blood. Nice. Marinate, wow. You can marinate the chicken in the menstrual blood and then kill two two birds. Oh, I never thought about that. There you go. Is there anything that's more fucking bitch than menstrual blood? Badge. Mm, I mean, it's it's delicious. Come on, are mm. you serious? So you're quaffing the you're quaffing the the blood of your mate. Absolutely. Wow. Just like any regular guy would. It's do. classy, you know. I, I I would I would sit by a by a fire, you know, and uh, have like a martini glass yeah. with like uh, just menstrual blood in it. It's classy. And it's delicious. Don't tempt him. He's serious, guys. That's All right. right. <laughs> what is it about this record? Let's hear right, it. Right, 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 right. So we were talking about Sugar well, Fix. We're going to keep doing yes. this if you don't, if you don't jump We'll in. never get anything done. So Sugar Fix, uh, yes, we're talking about Sugar Fix. It's been a while since it came out, yes. But we were talking about how, you know, it's there's there's a lot surrounding this album. And at, at its core, it's I think it's a really good album. But there's lots to talk about with this record. It was the last record for you guys on Sub Pop. It's a pretty big deal. People these days know Sub Pop is this gigantic, like, I mean, it's not sub anymore. It's just pop, right? So back... Pussy-ass business? Well, um, Blag can correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to recall we actually recorded this record in its entirety to true. We got a bunch of... I think we got a bunch of money from Sub Pop and recorded the record in its entirety, but we didn't like how it sounded. So somehow Blag got them to give us more money, and Blag, you'll have to correct me on this if I'm wrong. And then we went in somewhere i think it might have been seattle to re-record it so the record actually i think there's a whole nother sugar fix out there that is a completely different recording nice yeah i think i think that was mentioned in your book that that was like all those songs were written and stuff before thank heaven but then for whatever reason came out later yeah but i mean we actually went into the studio and and recorded it we actually recorded the whole thing the whole thing we might have even done it a couple of times i remember we just weren't you know, we knew we wanted to do something different. Badge, you're correct, sir. I am correct. So how many times did we how many times did we record this fucking record? So some of the bonus tracks that appear on that reissue of Sugar Fix and also on Thank Heaven. Which I don't have. Have extra tracks that were recorded at Smart Studios there when we did Thank Heaven. So those are those are versions of Underworld and Lies. 
and a song called Down by the River. I love that song. Down by the River is awesome. That were all sort of con- contemporaneous with doing Thank Heaven, but there wasn't room for those on the record. And maybe I hadn't done the vocal yet or something. Then, as Vag points out, we went up to Seattle at a place called Avast. We recorded with a guy named Stuart Hallerman, and we we started Sugar Fix. And then we just abandoned ship when I, I took it to L.A. to try to mix it. And the guy who was going to mix it said, fuck, man, let's just record this again. And so we went to Studio D in Sausalito, which I don't think is there anymore. Right. And we and we recorded Sugar Fix with. So this was the first record that didn't have Saltpeter, which is another thing that that saddens and angers me about this this record. Although Danny Bland did a pretty good job. Well. Better than Eric Generic. <laughs> I love Danny Bland. He is a great guy. But sandwiched in the Dwarves legacy between Saltpeter on one side and Nick Oliveri on the other. Yeah. yeah. He does not emerge as a powerhouse, let's say. No. Yeah. Both of those are definitely powerhouses. You know, so that, yeah, there were things about Sugar Fix that always maddened me but they weren't anybody's fault they were just things that came up everybody was quitting at that time Hmm. and you know except Fadge Moore he stuck with it hell yeah he wanted more sex more drugs more insanity yeah it really wasn't about the music for me it was just about the uh getting laid and you know getting peed on (laughs) yeah getting peed on was very important (laughs) <laughs> so if you want to go kind of song by song, you know, we're going to do that. We're going to go song by song. I don't I, I don't have one in front of me, but anybody out there open this. And that was like a, a Hugh cannot be named style riff, very signature kind of thing that he would do. And then I came up with the vocal melody and the and the lyrics. And then that breakdown part where it breaks down to it's all right, it's all right, which we've sort of done various ways. But so anybody out there is kind of a standard dwarf song, like we'll still do that. And there was a video of it and stuff. For sure. And it it feels like it's it's a little longer than your average dwarves track because it's got that breakdown towards the end and everything like that. Was that like a a sort of interesting moment for you guys to be like, oh, we're going to make a three minute song instead of a one minute song? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of our... Our accommodation to grunge is sugar fix, you mm-hmm. know. It's it slows it down a little bit. It's a little more rock and roll. We made another record at this time with some other people with but me and Salt Peter called Penetration. And that was kind of a sleazy rock and roll thing. That band was awesome. Yeah, and there's elements of that that start on Thank Heaven and then they really expand on this, you know. And so you got songs like Saturday Night, which is just kind of Ramonesy, and then you got riff songs like Anybody Out There or Bad Reputation, which was very similar to Anybody Out There. So we didn't do it much live, and it hasn't really survived much because Anybody Out There kind of soaks it up. But it, it, that's the same kind of jam. Weren't we doing Anybody Out There? Like even when we played that amazing Coconut Teaser show where all the violence happened. I could have sworn I saw a video yeah, where we were actually kind of doing a rough version of that. We played it the first time we played in Seattle with Guar in 89. So uh, we, we, we had had that song for a long time. Jesus. I, I think we had pretty much written everything that was going to be Dwarves. 
by 1990 or something. Right, right. You know, there were maybe a couple more that came along later, but the only thing I uh, like, it's really, it's been over the years my least favorite Dwarves record that I appear on. But just in the last couple of years, you know, I go on YouTube and I throw it on. I'm like, you know what? This is actually a damn good record. I mean, yeah, you know, people, people like it. Smack City. Smack City is fantastic and bad reputation. Smack City is one of my favorites. Yeah, that was kind of our song about Seattle, you know. So it mentions like going to the comet, come home and vomit, and it has it has song titles like "Come as You Are" mm. and "Touch Me, I'm Sick." Who can we be talking of, about? <laughs> it all kind of references the Seattle thing and says, "Yeah, you know, you're all on dope. Your your girls are ugly, and the weather sucks." Seattle cattle, because <laughs> <laughs> we were kind of coming from a california point of view although i'm from the midwest and and you know but vag is like a california guy we were trying to have some fun with it and all these bands were making money and getting paid and had chicks and it was like what are you crying about <laughs> but that was kind of the style then was to do a lot of crying i, I remember the, uh, the the one thing like my contention at the beginning when we did the record and for a few years after i just didn't like i know i always had bad gear because i was always wrecking it all the time but you made me, I think you, we taped down my hi-hat with duct tape so I would quit raising it up because I think because my equipment was so crappy, wow. like the sound of the cymbal was just <laughs> taking over all the microphones in the room. <laughs> but it actually, listening to back to it now, first of all, it kind of separates. I mean, I know I'm the drummer, so I'm going to pay attention to this sort of shit. But it kind of separates, that record separates from all the others we've done because usually... I'm riding that high hat up and down and all over the place, and it's just a constant shh. Right. But that record, it, it kind of tightens it up a little bit. So in the end, I think Black was right to have me do that. But yeah, you literally had me like take the screw out, so it was slapped down, and then I think you duct taped all around the hi hat. <laughs> so there's no way there can be any of that hiss. <laughs> I didn't remember that. That sounds yeah. like some meatball recording technique. Yeah, genius. The Beatles use that technique, I believe. <laughs> Much like the Beatles. That's why we're always compared to them. Yeah, man. we're always compared to the Beatles. When you recorded this record, did you record each instrument separately or did you record like like as a band and then do you like the vocals after? We recorded as a band, but then, you know, broke it down to just, okay, we got the drum part and then we'd overdub bass on it and then overdub guitar. I think that was how it went. And it, and it was... This wasn't the classic lineup of the band. Like he who was drifting away already by this point, Crash Landon was playing guitar. wasn't wasn't wonderful. We mentioned, you know, Marky Decide, Danny, you know. So the hulking brute of dwarves music that I had grown accustomed to was just kind of flailing apart at this point. But I had some good good songs. You know, so we had lies, you know, it was kind of a one chord. You know, there are a few of these dwarf songs where they were like one, you know, lies are just basically E over and over again. You know, Underworld is basically just a riff in E over and over again. Great songs, like Bad, Re Bad Reputation is absolutely And true. we were playing around with what you could do with one chord, you know, and there and there are cool things you can do, you know. Oh, yeah. Totally. Well, let's go, let's continue going track by track here. So, like, with uh, with anybody out there, I, I thought, you know, lyrically it's an interesting song, especially coming from the dwarves, because it does feel like, you know, you've, you've got some lines in there like, you know, I, I'm so horny and stuff like that, which falls in line with like kind of lyrics 
lyrical themes that we've heard before from the dwarves, but like it is also kind of this sense of longing for connectivity with someone, you know, that that's maybe beyond fucking yeah, somebody. I'm so lonely was not really a dwarves type line yeah. until then. It kind of expanded that. It was the same with like over you. I think I think with that line, Blag was Blag was getting us in touch with his feminine side. I think is what oh, this is <laughs> the seedlings of Nina. <laughs> he couldn't do it very long with me around because then I'd try to get in touch with his feminine side. <laughs> yeah, so anybody out there was a little bit of a departure, and then it goes into evil primeval, which was kind of right on a bow diddly, like dun da dun dun da dun 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 da dun dun da dun dun, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, that was sort of a weird song. I don't think we ever really did that live. Then it goes oh, into yeah. Bad Reputation, which, like I said, is a lot like anybody out there. And it's based on a true story. Bad Reputation is based on a true story. I can't imagine why. <laughs> well, going to Richmond, right? We sing about going to Richmond, and we got in a fight there. We It was some guys were mad at us from a previous show, and we had sort of forgotten about it, and they, like, coordinated with the with the venue and they like turned the lights off at a specific time. It came after us on stage, but we were standing up there with like instruments and shit. We just started swinging on people and it got, I hit a guy right in the head with my closed hi hat. It was awesome. <laughs> See, yeah, I was, I was right to tape it shut. It made a better weapon. Yeah. <laughs> it really did. It worked great. Yeah. So bad reputation is listed on the, the reissue is just reputation. Yeah. Yeah, because Joan Jett had bad reputation. I didn't want to conf- people to confuse it. That's fair. So Evil Primeval is the first song on the album to use like a sampled sound. And from what I'm gathering, this is like the right. first record we all attempted that. Was that something that was like with them from the start or was that like born in the studio? Yeah, no, that's incorrect. We've been throwing those little things in, starting with cassettes before there were samplers and Pro Tools and shit. We were doing it set on on our earliest stuff we always used samples from things you know movies and or or we'd recreate things you know or or whatever there were always little skits kind of that that was part of why i liked hip-hop records a lot because they included those things which most rock bands didn't once in a while you'd hear it in a rock band's record somebody hip like queen or whatever would put some bit in you know but for the most part it was like you know yeah I mean, we, we had that we had samples on i think it was i think it was let's fuck has a sample at the end of it or mm-hmm. got some pussy and blood guts every song has a sample of, yeah. of some kind and and thank heaven has it on you know fuck them all and mm-hmm. you know, like i'm on blood guts the first like four songs you know backseat of my car ends with a car crash mm-hmm. and, and then there's like you know so every dwarves record has like girls panting and moaning you know Still, to this day. To this day. To this day. What I think Evil Primeval does have that other tracks don't have is there's this like reverse vocal effect. Was that used on anything else or like how that on that lead vocal? Yeah, in the Evil Primeval. I think it's like the second time it comes around. It's got this like reverse reverb thing that that comes in. Wow. Yeah, maybe. I I always like that effect. I've used it a few times on. It's super cool. On later records, you know, and where you. 
you give a taste of what's about to happen instead of repeating something that's already is that happened. the thing where you like cool. is like something where you record it one way and then flip the tape and then add the effect or something like that yeah yes yeah so okay so bad reputation um Feels like a very self-reflective song about the band. I mean, you guys, you know, had that reputation. It, it, it's, why... it's bragging. I mean, you know, we, we were <laughs> all going all over the, the planet, just raping and pillaging. Uh, not literally, by the way, woke people. But <laughs> I mean, it was just figuratively speaking. Yeah, figuratively speaking. But it was I mean, raped in the mildest sense. Because the thing that we couldn't stand, <laughs> especially at the time, are all these heroin addicted shoegazing pussies and and they're all looking down on themselves oh woe is me and we're like fuck you screw heroin we do cocaine and we'll bang anything that moves and if you get in our <laughs> way we'll smash your fucking head in no bands were doing that at the time everybody was sad and sweet and it's like fuck that well even the people who were doing it were singing as though they were sad and sweet right there, right. Were, there were a lot of people doing it but they weren't they weren't right out of it they didn't take a great satisfaction in it the way we yeah were. no I mean, there's that song to me. I mean, I, I think I wrote, I think I wrote in my first book. Um, the dwarves were always like a, a vat of electricity or something that was people liked, you know, and they always were fans, but were always a little too dangerous to get close to, and that's how we always felt. And with a song like "Bad Reputation," I think that's just the, sort of the expression of that that attitude that we have. It's not a gang; it's a club, man. Yeah. And wasn't that like part part of the reason why Sub Pop signed you in the first place is because of this reputation? Like they were trying to kind of like they had their their mud honey and their their like Nirvana and stuff, but they needed something like actually they extreme, needed a real punk G band is what they needed. Yeah, short of Gigi Allen, you guys were like you know the right. next right the next wildest act to sign. I think that's kind of the conclusion we came to at some point. Yeah, it was like yeah they they just needed us to keep the rep going. <laughs> so I, I mean, ironic that that's what they brought you guys on board for but then you you come up with this hoax about he who being dead and then they're like oh you know like well i i was sitting i was i guess we got to watch out for lawsuits but i remember and granted <laughs> i was drinking a lot but i remember sitting in the offices of sub pop with bruce and john and talking about the hoax all of us together and saying what a great idea this would be and that you know get some some publicity out there so you know when they lay, we were already had decided we were going to leave sub pop we'd had enough we were like you, you give us no money you send us on the road with man that doesn't work this is great so we already wanted the hell off of there and so we already let them know this is going to be our last record with them and we had discussed the hoax with them i remember doing it sitting in their office so you know them then them playing like the good guy wearing the good guy badge afterwards was you know a little hypocritical but Hey, whatever. It made us look like more of the bad guys, and that was kind of what we were pushing. So it wasn't really surprising. How did you feel about like that being kind of this disastrous, you know, rollout for the album? Did I mean it sounds like this album wasn't exactly like you guys kind of had a little bit of negativity surrounding the album because you knew you were going to leave Sub Pop. It wasn't necessarily like your favorite. You know, nothing nothing slowed us down. We, we didn't. I mean, I, maybe Blag was thinking more about it because he's smarter than me. Me at the time, I was just like, fuck you. We're just going to keep rolling. We don't give a shit. You know, allegedly, Kurt Loder announced the death of he who cannot be named on MTV or something. And if that's the case, fantastic. And I mentioned in my book how people were calling and we're giggling, listening to the voice messages on, on the, uh, the telephone, the voice message thing. And um, 
just laughing because people are calling saying, oh, we're so sorry to hear about he who, oh, this is so terrible. I was getting free drinks at the bar for months. How I didn't You always got free drinks at the bar just because you were unwilling to pay for them. I got extra free drinks at the bar that time without guilt. (laughs) And, uh, you know, how I didn't in my drunken state not just have a slip of the tongue and say, oh, it's all just a hoax. But I didn't. And we just kept See, it going. What I love, Badge, is that you're you're an alcoholic, but without buying, without paying for drinks. That's that's that, that's, that's, that's another the, level of the game. That's when you know you're actually you're you're born to lose right there, yeah. baby. It's perfect. Yeah. Born to get those free drinks. Vadge's new book is amazing because it's so rare that anyone will ever admit anything bad about themselves in their book, you know, but only Vadge has the audacity to come out and say like, oh yeah, I know they just thought I was a loser and a fucking asshole and blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, it was great. It was like, it was so refreshing after reading so many of these kind of books. And it's always like, you know, it always makes them like the downtrodden hero or whatever, you know what I mean? But Badge, Badge has no need to, to you know, make himself the hero. If he doesn't feel heroic, he just, you know, states it. I, I was even like texting back and forth with my ex-wife, Jay, in the book and um, getting all these stories because a lot of the stuff I couldn't remember very well because I was terribly inebriated. And uh, she said, well, you know, if you want to change a story to make you look not so bad, that's OK. I said, no, this is not about uh, an ego stroking, you know, vag more fest. I mean, this is this is I, I want to reveal what really happened. So, you know, uh, you know I want to reveal what it felt like and, and what I put myself through. And uh, it, it should come with a smell thing, then it should come with some kind of smell. It should, it should be a scratch and sniff, sniff. yeah. Scratch it should have sniff. a scratch and sniff book, <laughs> like, like when I throw up all that uh whiskey, vodka, and wine on the floor. We should try to get that smell somewhere right at that book, scratch yeah. now and yeah. get the real life experience. I think the, the, the chapter where you talk about your interactions with Gigi Allen that's that's the chapter you really don't need the, the scratch. And oh, sniff. god, no, that was horrible, Jesus. I mean, it was great, but it was horrible. in a nutshell. So Lies is kind of one-chord rock jam. Was that was Saturday Night written like closer to the end of that era? Because I feel like yeah. Saturday Night is almost a precursor to yes. like a sound that would develop more in the Dwarves' career after yes. that moment. But it's yeah, and kind of a Ramones thing, and and it's like you know, years later, the Transplants stole that beginning. Every night, every night is just Saturday Night. Every day is Tim Armstrong. Day. Yeah, well, it wasn't. I don't think it was him singing. It was the guy. Rob, I think. Skin skinhead who, Rob. Who sings it, yeah. 
But I thought that was interesting, you know. It's like a classic, like late fifties, early sixties pop song, really, yeah. just like kind of sped up with some distortion. Like I can, I could picture people like doing the twist to Saturday Night. Yeah, the Watusi, the Frug. I don't know. I always thought of it as like our heavy metal song. Heavy metal, <laughs> our own version of heavy metal. Wow. No, but it was a little too heavy. We're, we're all too skinny and we couldn't lift it quite right. But <laughs> Too heavy metal. On this new <laughs> record, I think the drums sound better on that song on Saturday night. The, the On the early versions of, or early masters of that, they, they, didn't, they didn't come out right. Yeah, Lies is a lot more sinister, I feel like, even though it's that one chord basically throughout the whole thing yeah. or that one note that it builds on like it, it has this sinister aspect yeah, to that's it. he who cannot uh, be named riff everything that's like a one chord thing just is sort of built off a riff of his you know i was gonna say this album too like definitely feels like there's a lot more riffage than like previous dwarves yeah. albums i feel like he who kind of kind of changed his style pretty pretty noticeably yeah. on this one yeah i think that's right um, I, I didn't write riff songs as much. Every once in a while, I would write one like Lucky Tonight on, on Thank Heaven. But usually I was more like chord songs, Ramonesy kinds of things, things like Saturday Night. And so when there's a riff, a lot of times it's 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 either He Who or, or Salt Peter. That guy, that guy is a riff genius right there and a lyrical genius as well. Yeah, I mean, that was one big thing with the Dwarves was that really everybody could write words and lyrics. I mean, we get words and lyrics, could write uh, words and music, you know. So so you had guys like that knew how to write for this band, you know, with both Salt Peter and, and, and He Who. So like, yeah, then moving on to the next two songs, I feel like we get this like two song stretch of just like pure punk rock songs. Where you got the like under one minute songs with New Orleans and Action Man. We brought back New Orleans for the newest set. We were doing it because we were playing in New Orleans, and we figured, what the fuck? It's a good hardcore <laughs> song. Like, it's a yeah, straightforward, good thing, and it, it's it's actually about. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's like a there's a movie with Marlon Brando where he's got like a snakeskin jacket and he plays like a male hustler guy, and he and he's a you know he's a fuck boy from New Orleans. <laughs> is this young brando or old brando young brando oh thank god yeah is the lyric fuck boy yeah because he was a fuck boy from new orleans Okay, so so this is fantastic because I don't know if you're aware of this, Blag, yeah. if you wrote this this lyric or not, but according to the internet, the term fuckboy originated with the rapper Cameron in 2004. No, no. So this needs to be corrected no. because yes. I think you I had, came I had up with fuck that. fuckboy from New Orleans <laughs> 10 years before that. And what, Blag, what are the rest of the lyrics to that? Because I still can't figure it out. Um, I mean, I'd have to have it in front of me, but it's something like he was a fuck boy from New Orleans. They paid him high to keep his motor clean. Come on mm. for a ride. Come on outside. You know, I don't do this every night. That's it. Boy from New Orleans. And then something, something, the Marines. I'd, I'd have to hear it again, but it's <laughs> something about the Marines. This lyric website says like, butt boy, not fuck boy. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fuck boy from. That changes the meaning entirely. 
Yeah. The lyric sites are awful at uh, transcribing dwarves lyrics. I've noticed this yeah. in the past. Almost every single dwarves lyric is wrong. Yeah. Ironically, on the website called Genius. Even the ones where they had lyric sheets. Yeah, Even like uh, that had lyric young, sheets. young and good looking. Didn't that have a lyric sheet? Yeah. Yeah. People still got it wrong. So, yeah, fuck boy from New Orleans. And then what comes after that? Action man. action man so that that just sort of continues the dwarves thing of like singing about superheroes like creating superheroes like astro boy mm-hmm. astro boy already exists and so does action man action man is like a an action figure in england that they like gi joe would be here but we always ha- would make up these and like the next one, Kane Novocaine, you know, like I'm Kane Novocaine. It'd be like these kind of weird superhero songs, you know. Like I think it's because it was we considered ourselves sort of like superheroes, or sort right. of like a combination of film noir villains and superheroes all at the same time. Yeah. So things like I am the Dominator, you know, it's like you you come up with these one word things, or I'm relentless, you know, which is on another record. But it's like, yeah, that that's what action man uh you know and it has one of those like in the doors you either have like straightforward like one two one two one two kind of kind of beats or you have things like this where it's like very Wagnerian. yeah which is like a song like unrepentant or something from later ones like i'm unrepentant i'm unrepentant you know it's like you just throw in one little hiccup and it and it makes for a different kind of riff and a different kind of dwarf song. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the little hiccups. I mean, that's the other gene. I mean, people don't think about this because it's the dwarves. But the genius of them, Blag and He Who and, and Saltpeter arranging these songs, they just throw in these, like when I was recording with them the first time, they'd throw in these little things that you wouldn't think even would matter. And it ends up making a huge difference. It alters the feel of the song and makes the song 100% better. And the, even throwing in, like we were talking before, samples. When I first recorded the full record, Blood, Guts, and Pussy with them, little samples they'd throw in, even if you couldn't really hear it unless you listened real close, it still made an audio difference. It added to the song, even if you're not even aware that it's there. So little things like hiccups and all that shit just adds to what Blag and yeah. Salt Peter were doing on these records. Nobody taught us how to do samples or record things. We had no idea how to record anything. I mean, it wasn't until my late 20s when I got in with Eric Valentine that anyone took the time to show me anything in a studio or where I felt like I had any time. You know, we would make these records. I mean, you'd have to do like seven vocals in a day kind of bullshit, just whatever it was, you know. And didn't we record like... Thank heaven we recorded in like six days or something, right? Yeah, that was one of the quickest ones. Yeah. I know Blood Guts was probably quicker than that. That was like two days. Well, Blood Guts, <laughs> there was a series of overdubs in, in San Francisco that gave me some time to breathe right. and listen to it and do shit. But thank heaven we just had to power right through. Right. In Wisconsin, some shit. 
but yeah, this one, you know, we, we had a little, we had enough time, but we just didn't know what we were doing. And the players were kind of transitional here, except for me and Vag. The rest of the players on there were kind of not the standard dwarves guys. So, well, um, so then it goes to Kane and Novocaine. Yeah. Another like, so then superhero. actually next is smack city, which ties in perfectly because we're talking about samples. This one starts off with that sample. Shooting up in the boys' room, a dog high school, Dorkville, USA. Another West in the Wendewet. They got something going down, kind of screwing. Where, is that from something or Kim Foley? Kim, Kim Fowley. He had a record uh, called Oh God. It came out of Moxie in 1980. It was it was uh, you know it had songs on it like We Wear Our Shades and shit like that. I, I can't remember the title of the album, but was it The King of Fuck? Didn't you have something come out called The King of Fuck or something like that? <laughs> this this wasn't that. It was just like kind of a. Yeah, he, he, he had a couple, I, I don't know, it was a Kim Fowley record around 1980. And yeah, they had that dog high high school, Dorkville, USA. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end, it goes to it's, it's Louie, Louie, Louie. So you know that it's mm. supposed to be Seattle, you know, Smack City, Louie, 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 you know. Yeah, it's a perfect example of the dwarves repeatedly biting the hand that feeds them, although we weren't being fed very well. So we were we were grumpy animals. Right, yeah. Kind of shitting on Seattle that had given us our start. Because before we went up to Seattle, nobody noticed us at all. It was only when people started to, because we were on Sub Pop, people thought we were from Seattle. But we weren't, you know. And, well, I mean, we we were noticed enough to get written up in the Village Voice when we went all the way out there for what one or two shows. That was what brought us to the attention of Seattle, because there was a big thing about the Seattle scene and that same issue of the Village Voice. And there was a picture of me bleeding after jumping into a table at CBGB's. Like, yeah, the one the and only time we were never asked back to CBGB's. I, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> we were banned till the end, but we outlasted CBGBs. Hell Fuck yeah. They're gone. We're still here. All right, yeah. CBGBs. Proves were more important. Where is that photo? Is that on the internet? Yeah, it should be. It's, uh, the caption said, Bleeding Jesus. Bleeding Jesus. I, I tried looking for it because it was mentioned in, in Vag's book. I couldn't Village find it, voice, but I'll, yeah. I'll try Bleeding Jesus. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, it's classic too because uh, I know now we're talking about this, but. That's how it got, it got or the attention of Seattle, so I guess this is relevant. But um, Blag had taken a bunch of LSD, which he did a lot back then before going on stage. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck he did right. that. Yeah. And I, I'll just never forget him. There was like behind the stage at CBGB's, there's this long hallway that goes to those horrible bathrooms. And he wasn't anywhere in, you know, in front. And we tried to warn the people, get these chairs and tables out of the way. And they're like, no, we're not going to move the chairs and tables. Where are people going to sit? And I'm like, they're not. <laughs> and as soon as we start, I can't even remember what song. I probably fuck up and get high. Black comes flying from behind the kit down that hallway over my drum riser, as much as it was, and into the crowd, landing on the tables and just fucked up his head <laughs> on one of those nasty. And they just stopped. Tables. Yeah, they just stopped. Well, the we through, I think we got through a few songs, but not until yeah, you were like, like mauling people songs. with the microphone in your mouth and blood pouring down. 
Yeah, those were the days. Yeah, pretty, punk <laughs> pretty punk rock right there. Okay, so Smack City, I think we get the gist of that, and I think it's it's a perfect placement for that song on the final Sub Pop record. And then we got Kane Novocaine, which we've talked a little Another bit kind about. Of superhero thing, superhero-y. you know, Kane Novocaine, the riff. I think I wrote, I wrote that one. I was going to say, these superhero songs, like, they definitely, the... The structure, I guess, of the song feels like a like a theme song a little bit, like when they go into these superhero things. Right. Like, I was gonna say about Action Man as well. Like, I can't help but envision this like fucked up commercial for the action figure. Right. Exactly. Where, like, yeah. That's what. You know. That's kind of what they are. Yeah. Action Man got thrills if you want it. Action Man at a terrible pace. Action Man from outer space. <laughs> totally. Like I'm just picturing like these like like those old TV commercials where the kids are like playing with right. the action figure and yeah. putting it in like scenarios. But like this guy's just like fucking like you're like you're just jamming him into like a female action action woman, I guess. <laughs> well, like, we felt. I mean, we felt like superheroes first of all because we were wearing those tight black pants, those black rock pants. guy jeans. So. Which, you know, everybody had given up wearing in the 80s because I guess that was a 80s metal fashion. But we wore them because, you know, it made us feel like superheroes. And, of course, then we write songs about horribly degenerate superheroes. And that's exactly what we were. The, the rock guy gloves were another aspect of the superhero. Which, are you done wearing those now? Because you gave your gloves to Elliot Graceland. Well, no, that was just one pair. Oh, okay. Boy. How many pairs of those gloves do you have? I, you know, I got multiple pairs, man. I've worn hundreds now, dozens. It's like Bat Batman, but it's 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 the the Black Cave instead of the Bat Cave, and he's got a special room somewhere that just has about twenty dozen of those gloves. All the different eras—they're just lining the cave walls, yeah, yes. like thousands of gloves. Oh yeah. So, so Kane, Novocaine, and what I can't remember what comes in. Is it Underworld? Underworld, yes. Underworld. I, that's like that's a that's a pretty big song. Like that's yeah. I feel like that's one of those ones like a fan favorite. Yes, right? we used like, to open shows with that. And Underworld is, uh, you know, just based on a real muscular riff and a great kind of bass riff thing, which is cool when it happens in the Dwarves because it's a very guitar heavy kind of band. I think that might have been Salt Peter that that came up with that. But it's 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 constantly. We did that version in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, like Blag had mentioned before, and there was re- later released on, on a little CD EP. But with Saltpeter doing the bass, and um, I think Saltpeter for that track was using a fretless bass, and just the yeah. monstrous ballsy sound of the fucking thing as he start off with that bass. Yeah. Yeah. It just sounded absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I, I I preferred his playing to the one that wound up on the record so i like to get that version out there but you know it it i think sugar fix ultimately holds up it's a it's a cool record but if you would have asked me about any other record i probably would have liked it more what and it ends with wish that i was dead which you know it goes like
and it comes in on this really bad chord that's really out of tune that was like deliberately done that way to make it sound like you know death you know but I, but now when i hear it it just sounds wrong you know this is weird you know but I, I i had a concept you know but it's it sounds like the guy that's singing is dying it's perfect yeah and wish that i was dead is one of my favorites lyrically and it's very um, sort of country inflected sounds like an old kind of retro jam and the, the lyrics you know to be or not i just don't care eternal questions everywhere it's very kind of fake lofty big you know but it's just death the dwarves obsession with death you know very very existential yeah one thing i noticed about that song too is like you know we we're talking a little bit about saturday night and how that kind of has this old timey like late 50s early 60s kind of like vibe this i wish i was dead is dedicated to del shannon yeah he had just committed suicide <laughs> at that time and del shannon's one of my all-time favorite artist he's thought of as a one-hit wonder because of runaway which would be enough because runaway is one of the greatest songs of all time but he's got like another 10 great songs and he he was the first guy to pick up on the beatles he covered from me to you he did a little tour with them for you know they with them opening for him in england you know he was just a really hip smart guy that had a bunch of great songs stranger in town is one of my favorites by him and he He's a super underrated, you know. Now, we had a song called Runaway, but was that during the Sugar Fix era and we never recorded it? When was that? Yeah, Runaway was a song that we had. And then years later, he who wrote the Runaway that wound up on Must Die, which I think, which I always thought was better. But yeah, there was another song called Runaway that I, I had written and it sort of disappeared. I, I don't know. I never liked it that much, I guess. I thought it was good, but it was it was from the Sugar Fix era, right? Yeah. Yes. Thought so. Or the or the kind of Venus with arms blag era. Right. Somewhere in between. I know it's it's hard it's hard to remember all this shit. First of all, you know, all the time that's gone by, and second of all, all the booze and cocaine I was imbibing. So, you know. Yeah. Hard to remember. It is. It's hard to remember with a pin shoved in your ear. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> so a sugar fix, you know, as a whole, like sounds like there's mixed emotions towards that record. When you look back at that record, I mean, like time has definitely changed the narrative of it. I think when you look back at it now, you feel like a little more fondly about it. Do you, like there, there's, yeah. Like, yeah, there's songs on there that yeah. are obviously like songs that have lasted the span of your career. You know, anybody out there underworld, you know? Yeah, I mean, there aren't any bad dwarf records. Even the ones we made, seventeen and eighteen, you know, they 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 all have a certain charm to them. Depending, you know, it's just it was basically like after Sugar Fix when we hit Young and Good Looking that I've never made another record that I didn't like from that point on. I don't know how other people feel about them. There were ones that I liked a lot, like Must Die, that people didn't seem to pick up on as much as I thought. But everybody's picking up on this new one, this concept album, because it's like wow. kind of it's it's really it's kind of got everything that a dwarves fan would want, you know. Nick Oliveri screaming like a crazy wife beating son of a bitch and all great <laughs> poppy songs too. Did Saul Peter write any of the songs for concept? Yeah, he album? wrote Parasite. Oh, I love that song. Yeah. So that's who wrote, who wrote Roxette? I wrote Roxette. That's a great song. That's a good one. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I, mean, I definitely have uh, I, I definitely have divided love and hate of this record i mean not now i mean through all the last few years you know to me it was like the worst wars record i ever played on but i remember i re-listened to it about a year ago maybe i was just on youtube and like eh, let's listen to it and i'm like you know what this this record it's actually great i mean it really it, like every dwarves record you sort of we always made them i don't know i'm sure they still do but when i was in the band we make them so that you sort of enter into this world and then you sort of get tossed around and you meet degenerate superheroes and hookers high in cocaine and then you're sort of beaten up and then kicked out the other end <laughs> and sort of fix does that i mean it's it is a whole yeah. piece and and uh i, I re-listened to it again last night and it really is a great record i mean i i actually take back everything i thought about it because it it does hold up it's actually pretty damn good yeah which just goes to prove so pop knows nothing fuck them but we already knew that <laughs> i think that it's a, it's a fantastic album like i said at the beginning like it, it's got a lot of versatility to it there's a lot of variation amongst the tracks but then a lot of cohesiveness as well and i think that there's you know like songs like underworld where you get this like every instrument every player has their moment like the the bass you know comes through in these moments where you're like damn that's a sick bass riff but even in like Underworld, like the drums, like really, like that song is kind of like a constantly morphing song as well. So I, I really like I, I got to tip my tip my cap to you guys, even though you didn't enjoy it at the time. That's there's some some really like sort of next level shit on there, you know? Yeah, Vag had a way when he was playing drums of kind of pushing it when it got to the solo part. He would just push it a little more and kind of push you through that last verse you know or that last chorus and just kind of you know it just had that dwarves quality that i remember that that's one thing saltpeter taught me when i first joined the band we were living in this little flat in um on fell street in san francisco and we had this basement in the that we used as our uh, rehearsal studio and when i first joined you know i was playing like i had played with my other bands which just wasn't cutting it for the dwarves and saltpeter just said you have to attack the one like always be just a little ahead of each beat. What you're doing is like, you you got the band behind you and you're dragging us forward, but you've got to push us, drag us, do what you can, always attack the one. Never lay back in the cut, always attack, which ended up, of course, becoming pretty much what we all did on stage anyway. But in terms of the music, that I remember Salt Peter teaching me that, and once I kind of got the, the feel of it, then it, you know it worked pretty good. Any of the Dwarves records... At least that I played on, you know, you can feel that. You can feel it in Blood Guts, Thank Heaven, Sugar Fix. Yeah, you just always attack the one, move it a little farther forward, a little totally. quicker. You can definitely hear that. And I actually curious to to hear your thoughts, Vag, on how the drums sounded after your departure from the Dwarves. Oh, they. I mean, they got they had some great drummers. I know Josh Freeze was in there for a while. Did he record, or was he doing just live stuff, Blood? Oh, he he did just recording. Oh, he just did recording, so he didn't do any live. I mean, Josh Freeze, I mean, obviously he's now at the Foo Fighters. He's played with Devo. I mean, the guy's phenomenal. The drums sound great on every record since I've left. I mean, even the guy on um, Dwarves Must Die, I mean, he, he was doing an awesome job. Rex so, Tom. Yeah, that, that's it. That was his name. Dwarves Must Die has a lot of Tom on it, but it also has... Uh gnarly watts you know who came from xl was more of a speed metal player and then right. it had uh josh freeze that's the first one he was on was on must yeah. die right and uh, so he plays on a couple of those 
drums and and yeah that one had like multiple drummers it, it took multiple drummers to keep up with what Vagmore the precedent that he set that's right i, I think he did set a precedent i think that like you yeah, know drink too much and not play very well <laughs> that's what me. it is my favorite work my favorite dwarf to this day oh. but you know man it's been a pleasure talking to you about this record i'm gonna go now and abuse substances and eat food there you go <laughs> I, i'm gonna, I'm gonna go speed i'm gonna go drink a lot of caffeine and and meditate it's punk rock all right two, well, two opposite ends of the spectrum all right thanks a bunch guys this has been uh very fascinating and i'm glad that we had an opportunity to talk about an album that maybe is forgotten by some people maybe being rediscovered by some people maybe just being discovered by some people yeah yes this has been a lot of fun sorry about the technical difficulties at the beginning but i am an old man (laughs) no worries no appreciate y'all giving us your time you got it buddy take it easy yeah thanks a lot you guys all right rock and roll guys (laughs) 